Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning and welcome to episode 90 of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue, joined as always by my co-host John Shipley. John, how's the offseason treating you so far? It's treating me, man. It's it's, <laughs> it's treating me. Get get married next weekend, so mm. trying to get as much done as I can before then. But it's it's been an NFL offseason, dude. It, like for every team that isn't still playing, that like playoffs the free agency period is terrible. No, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Even like I feel like the end of the regular season until free agency because it's like yeah, it's a little bit like tough because there's so much still happening NFL wise. But then you're trying to kind of like you're just kind of really balancing the fence between like looking ahead to the off season versus like staying in the season doing like look back at what we did and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a weird transition period. But now the Super Bowl is over. Ryan Nielsen was introduced as the Jaguars' defensive coordinator yesterday on Thursday afternoon. So we're going to break down some of our takeaways. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, I guess, just what was I, – I wasn't there yesterday, so what was your, like, in-person in person impressions of Nielsen? Firm handshake. I mean, that, <laughs> that has to be number one. Have, have you ever seen the King to Hill episode where he, like – and this is like early 2000s. He like meets George H.W. Bush. And he's like a Texas guy. Who, you know, he loves Bush. And he, sh- he has a limp handshake, though. So he's like, I can't vote for the guy anymore. Uh, it, it, he, I, I, I'd vote for him. No, it, like it, it deserves being said that like not many coaches lose the introductory press conference. Like Adam Gase a couple years ago is probably like one of one of the few. But like right. literally every coordinator in new head coach wins their press conference. Like if every team that hired a head coach this offseason, any detractors, they were bought in like five minutes into the press conference. You know, I mean, that's how it goes. But I will say, like, I can see why he seems to have cultivated kind of a reputation as like a guy that players like, you know, playing for. You know, he's very he seemed very like genuine, very authentic very detailed and also I'm like I'm trying to think of the right word for it. it just like seemed like he was somebody who knew what he was doing what he wanted to get done etc cetera, etc cetera. like you know Mike Caldwell like Mike Caldwell's a genuine guy I really liked Mike Caldwell the guy but you could tell his introductory press conference how green that he was it seemed like Nielsen was somebody who was very much uh you know had his finger on the pulse of things but then again it brings an identity I could say yeah, there you go. There you go. But like I said, though, it's it's hard to lose a press conference. Like, 
out of all the things I tweeted from the press conference, the one that picked the most traction was him saying, uh, we don't know how we're going to use Trayvon, basically. We're going to see what he does well and then fit the scheme around that. And everybody's going crazy and stuff. Somebody tweeted to me, a tweet of mine of Mike Caldwell saying the same thing. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an introductory press conference, you know, but he did say a few interesting things, which I know that we're going to get a look at. What about you? I mean, you know, watching from the All-22. The media room was nice. That was pretty cool. The, the eye in the sky, man. Uh-huh. When I saw the video of Nielsen, like, going around shaking people's hands, I got a flashback to Calvin Ridley doing the same thing and how he had, like, such a great first impression. But, yeah, Nielsen definitely seems like he has the goods. Like, even though, like you were saying, there's, like, plenty of coach speak in every introductory press conference, and there was in Nielsen's, but at least he kind of, like, backs it up because like he said this yesterday and every defense coordinator will say this about how like they put their players in the best position to succeed. Uh, but like, I think when you go back and look at like accounts from former players and then just like watch the film from his defenses, especially when he was coordinating Atlanta last year, like you can see that he actually like applies that and isn't just saying it cause it sounds good. So I thought that was encouraging. I guess we can start with the Trayvon quote. Cause I thought, he was basically saying, like, yeah, we'll, like, experiment some throughout the offseason, like, in OTAs and in training camp and, like, give him a few more reps inside since there, he hasn't really gotten a lot of those reps at the NFL level. And, like, we'll kind of see what we can, what he can do. But even if, like, he shines at, like, five technique throughout training camp, like, I would still expect him to play 90% plus of his snaps as an outside linebacker or at least like an edge player in 2024. So yeah, like, like we'll see. And like, maybe something will change, but regardless, I think like Trayvon is going to be the edge opposite Josh Allen. Yeah. And I think like we have a few different reasons to think that like, if you just look back and like Nielsen's time, like as a defense coordinator, look at some of his defensive ends, you know, Cam Jordan, Calais Campbell, he obviously likes, Having, you know, bigger guys on the edge going 4-3 doesn't necessarily mean having bigger defensive ends like it used to. Like, I mean, we just saw the 4-3 Texans take Will Anderson last year, and he's like, what, 250 pounds? The, the 49ers traded for Randy Gregory. So it's not a thing for every 4-3 team anymore, but I feel like it's a thing with him. Like, he likes having bigger edge guys, and I think that's where Trayvon clearly goes in. So I'm with you. I think, I think it's clear that anything Trayvon did – interior wise the last two years it's just too small of a sample size for anybody to have a take on yeah and like you said with him it's going to be kind of you know getting him actually on the field and figuring out what's the best you know really best way to utilize him but i i agree with you i mean he even mentioned you know we'll talk about later what i thought the most important quote was but he's like we have a couple like really good edge rushers so he, i mean he's obviously talking you know about trayvon so i'm with you i i think he probably gets moved around more but not much yeah, like there'll be some like exotic third down packages that are like look pretty cool. And I think like even though Caldwell called some interesting blitzes last year, I feel like a lot of it was like, I don't know, overloading one side and then like Trey Herndon would come from another, which like those were cool and they would work out a decent amount. But like at this point, like every NFL team is like doing that and like messing with pass protection rules in that way. But it's actually like get different mismatches, like having Trayvon lineup as a one technique on like third and 11 would be cool. Even if it only happens like once per month. 
That, that That's the big thing, I think, that in terms of how to utilize Trayvon can be improved upon. I never seemed like he was the focal point of any of the games or, you know, the blitz schemes they were, you know, trying to do. Like, sometimes, yeah, right. he benefited from some of the stunts and games that they played up front. But it it always seemed like he was just kind of like, a, you know, a, a part of the cast as opposed to being one of, the, like, the stirs that – Straws I start to drink. There we go. Caught, caught, <laughs> caught myself. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think Trayvon is probably going to benefit. Like him and Josh Allen, I think, are going to benefit the most from Ryan Nielsen's hiring in mm-hmm. general. And like you said, he definitely said a lot of co- – like his Trayvon answer, I'd say, was probably like 90% coach speak. I mean, he's got that, man. He's He's got he's got head coach level coach speak. Not, not gonna lie, yeah. Dude. yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, I loved his his very first answer was like he was like ready for Gene. <laughs> he was like, first of all, good question, Gene. <laughs> that was like the first words we heard from the new the new defensive coordinator. That's was right. Good question, Gene. And then that's he went right. into nine percent coach speak. That's right, and I I think that's you know worth talking about too. The first thing that he said, like mm-hmm. again, you know, throughout some of the cliches that every defensive coordinator says, I. Who's the first defense coordinator that's ever said they don't want to attack and be aggressive? Like you know, it's it's literally what all of them say. But I do think what he said was interesting in terms of he said they wanted to be forward leaning, forward running, going forward defense. You know, even when it comes to the secondary, he says when we make out of our break, we're coming out of that break to hit you, etc. Those kind of things. That's what I thought was interesting. That he, I don't think every defense places emphasis on that. You know, I'm playing downhill you know, getting upfield, et cetera, those type of things. And I think that kind of showed maybe more than anything what his mantra is and his philosophy is as a coach and what you can expect the defense to look like. Because, I mean, that, that wasn't even the case with the Jaguars' defense last year. You know, like they, they weren't a, a defense that, especially in the back, like seven, you know, played like that. They It was more of a bend, don't break defense. It seemed like they were, like, letting people have – the little things in the effort to, you know, try to prevent explosives, et cetera. It definitely seems like, and if you watch, you know, the Falcons defense last year, that's kind of the polar opposite. I thought that was one of the the really telling and genuine things that he said. Yeah. I feel like that's almost another thing that's like technically coach speak, but like coming out of his mouth specifically and then like looking at like how the Falcons defense played under him is like something that's actually, actually true where every defense coordinator will say, like, oh, we want our guys to play fast. Like, I feel like that was even a famous, like, Urban Meyer or infamous Urban Meyer quote was wanting all of his guys to not necessarily, like, be fast, but to play fast. I think he was trying to, like, differentiate the two in one of his first press conferences. But, like, with Nielsen, like, that that group in Atlanta last year was super fiery. And even if they weren't one of the more talented defenses, like, that was one of the ways that he was able to get more out of the unit than, like, the talent that was there was just, like, really just encouragement and uh i don't know leadership to get them to play hard yeah no 100 percent. i we want to work into this next like what he said about the pass rush in the secondary because that's what i also thought like the forward thing meant so he were we bulky bald or was everybody else bulky bald i i i i I, in terms of what he said about the Pull up the exact quote, the man coverage, zone coverage stuff. Okay, he said, okay, as one of our coaches would like to say, nothing cheap and nothing deep. When you're pressed, you take away the quick game, and we like to play shell 
which when you look at us, we take away the deep throws. It may look man or mannish at times, but there's press bail and some nuances in the coverage of it that's actually sometimes a zone with tighter coverage on the outside. It's actually good that you see it like it because if we're viewed like that, then when we drop in the zone, it could be advantageous for us on defense. We're going to be mixing and matching. We're going to be playing different coverages and mix and match our coverages. Well, who who got owned, Gus? Somebody somebody got owned. Did, did I get owned? I mean, or what was it? Dribble. I, I'm leaning towards more it being again, coach speak. Like if anything, to me, and maybe this changes the entire argument. He said, okay, regardless if you want to call it man or zone, he did say they press and. The yeah. Jaguars pressed at what the second lowest rate of any team last year. Like they rarely <laughs> pressed. Yeah. Exactly. Like they rarely they they played a lot of soft zone coverages under Mike Caldwell. So okay, maybe maybe it's not a man versus zone argument. Maybe it's an argument of any corners who can press at the line of scrimmage, etc. It, it how do you interpret that? Because I definitely had a few people I telling me I got on. Maybe I did get on. I don't know. My my brain's kind of a pretzel about it, to be honest. But I, 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 I don't think we got Bucky balled, honestly, because I think yeah. he was almost trying to be like, because uh, there was a different part when he was talking about like his third down principles, when he was talking about how he wants to be multiple and they're going to have different coverages because opposing offenses and quarterbacks are just too good nowadays, and you can't be a Gus Bradley who just sits in your cover three zone. And so I think what he was trying to say is that like, yeah, like. I major in like man coverage and I want to play man coverage, but like we're going to switch it up because we have to, because we can't only play man. And so I think he was saying like, for sure that he like more, more emphasized like the press part of it than the man part of it. And so that was kind of like more of my takeaway was that like, okay, yeah, we can't expect a lot of press coverage next year, like regardless of who ends up being the cornerbacks on the team. But yeah. So like, even if they're not going to lead the league in, man defense like they're still going to be primarily a man coverage unit that just like switches it up with like the uh like coming off in the trail and then like switching it up into like matches and stuff like that so he'll he like was basically like explaining his counter moves i feel like but and like was just like more so focusing on his counters rather than being like yeah i'm a press man coverage guy yeah i feel like a lot of people take that argument at face value of thinking it's like playing Madden and you're playing man coverage every single play. Like, no, you obviously like play with more coverages than that, but it's still your bread and butter. Here's my question for you. Can coverages are like so sophisticated and that's one part of, you know, the game that I'll, I'll admittedly like, it's hard for me. A lot of times I see a play to decipher, you know, what, what the coverage is. I'm not a former backup, you know, NFL quarterback who's now on TikTok, etc. And I'm not able to call him from the jump like that immediately. I have to, you know, look at it a few times, figure out a few different pieces. But with coverage as diverse as it is and so many like mix and match and stuff, can data really even tell the story on man and zone coverage like that much, you think? I think you just have to kind of like um look at it like kind of vaguely so like i think with like a lot of like not just coverage but a lot of like kind of like nfl advanced stats in general i think if like a team or a player is like top five or bottom five then like it's safe to have a takeaway from that like being like okay the falcons were number one in (laughs) coverage so like they were absolutely top five (laughs) yeah so like i think you can say like in honesty or like it would be fair to say like oh they're like a press man or they favor press man 
even if like I think it'd be better to kind of like say that and just generalize it a little bit rather than being like oh in 2023 this defense ranked number three in this very specific statistic because as you're saying like I literally my job for a few months was to do that was like a football video scout for sports info solutions and part of what I charted was like the coverage of every snap and it's even for people who have a lot more experience than I do, it's not at all an easy job. And so, NFL coverage is a wild, dude. <laughs> There's so yeah. much different thing. Like, it's and not like, just sitting in cover two, you know? They're wild. Right. It's like, it, as you were kind of saying, like, it's not like Madden where it's like, okay, I can do cover three, I can do cover two, I can do cover one. Like, there's so many, like, even plays that have, like, zone on one half, man on the other half, like, cover eight. Like, no one in my position could, like, diagnose a cover eight, honestly. So yeah, there's just a lot. I think I think like people would get like eighty or like scouts that are qualified can get like eighty percent of it right, which is like enough to be like, oh, if you're top five in this metric, then it probably means something. But again, you can't you can't like look at charting and be like, oh, Joe Burrow's the number two quarterback in PFF grade. He must be the number two quarterback in the league. Obviously, that like taking those leaps are a little atrocious. Okay, so two more questions. One, should I just trust the the shoulder pad chips, the dots. And then two, is this all just me coping? The shoulder pad chips, the dots. I like the dots. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Should I just, should I just trust them that they're telling me it's man coverage? Should I just, should I just tr- trust trust them? Oh, I don't know. You yeah. should you gotta ask your guy Keegan. But I do think like – That's what we talked about this before. Where next gen is at least better than like ESPN's tracking. We've kind of figured that out ourselves. That that's my counterpoint to being known. Like I'm no, I'm, <laughs> the dots tell me I'm not owned. I'm, I'm not owned. <laughs> again. Yeah, you're definitely you're definitely coping a bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm definitely some definitely some copium. <laughs> won't, Honestly, won't stats aren't going to be like. I mean, I don't think there will ever be like statistics that like tell the full story. But like, we're not even going to get close to that point until you can like have statistics about like intangibles or like just like feelings and like moods like because like momentum i think is like exists but like we just don't have like a set technology to track it so then once you're able to like track players like thoughts and confidence levels and stuff like that then maybe we'll actually have some real stats but at the same time then you get into like this whole like ethical thing of like oh is it like really a good idea to be tracking players moods and stuff like that so we, we've got a very long way to go before like <laughs> More statistics are figured out. So you're telling me eventually I'm going to need to get to the point where I'm tracking players' moods to prove that I'm not being owned by Trent Baalke. That That's that's more or less. Okay. You need all the data points possible, and right now we've got no well, all the data points. I'm willing to go that far. but <laughs> <laughs> none, none, Nonetheless, yeah. to, that, to that same token, I thought the most revealing thing that he said was the second to last answer he gave, which he was asked about his core principles on third down. And obviously, again, he said some of the coach big stuff, you know, we had to be multiple, multiple packages. We had to be diverse. We had to keep changing, et cetera, et cetera. But he said one thing that I thought was the most revealing thing that he said. And he said, the first thing we have to do is affect the quarterback and that we can't allow the ball to come out of his hand quickly. Then the rush doesn't get there. If the coverage has holes in it or gives an easy throw, it doesn't matter who we've got coming off the edge. We've got a couple of good edge guys here. We have to get the quarterback to hold it. That, that to me, was the most revealing thing that, that he said. And 
like I don't think he's saying that the Jaguars specifically have to be better at that as much as he's saying that for him, like secondary is paramount and what he's trying to accomplish. And he doesn't see like winning on third down as specifically as, you know, getting the best pass rushers possible or throwing out crazy blitz packages. He sees it as playing strong on the back end to let the front end, you know, play and really the two sides complementing each other. That to me, like, I'm not saying it screams cornerback at number 17 because, again, I'm coping there. But I, I do think it shows that cornerback, like, at least to him, is pretty high in terms of importance for his defense, if not maybe the most important piece. I yeah. mean, so at the start of his, like, third down principles answer, he said pass rush and coverage, and he, like, repeated it and said they got to go hand in hand. And so I feel like – I, I agree with you where it was like he was more talking general than about the Jaguars and like the guys that were currently on the roster. But at the same time, he did kind of say like, you got to win in coverage. So your pass rusher is going to get home and we have good pass rushers and didn't mention the secondary. I mean, like in all, he said like he had some like coach speak about the current roster. He said like, we've got a really talented group. I'm excited to work with these guys. And then he like went over, uh, I think it was a response to your question. He went over like some offensive guys. But the only two defensive players he like uh, called he out. more about the offense than he did there in-house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he only mentioned Trayvon and Josh as like the only two defenders. And like part of that was that he was asked specifically about Trayvon and Josh. So it's not like he went out of his way. But in like this specific quote that we're talking about, he did kind of go out of his way, even if he didn't like name those two by name. Yeah, 100%. And like, I don't think he was saying this is what, like, specifically the Jags sucked at last year, but it is kind of what they sucked at last I mean, look at games against Cincinnati, yeah. the Browns, the Buccaneers game. Like, that's that was their, you know, biggest thing. Like, it didn't matter that they had, you know, arguably a guy who played as well as Miles Garrett and Michael Parsons as a pass rusher last year. It didn't really matter because quarterbacks were able to get, you know, easy stuff. And a part of that had to do with the run defense suffering, but – Part of it definitely had to do with, like, I'd say, honestly, the philosophy just, you know, of the secondary, just so much of that zone coverage, you know, playing with everything in front of you. It just seemed like quarterbacks were able to get those quick, easy throws often, you know, against them. And it seems like specifically for him preventing those type of, you know, give me throws. And, for, you know, maybe that's how you make sure that the Jake Brownings of the world don't beat you. Yeah, the whole thing about the cornerback route, Room. I mean, really, defense in general is kind of more about having a good collective group uh, and not really having, like, a weakest link as opposed to having, like, a bunch of stars and scrubs. Uh, but that's definitely goes for the cornerback room, too, because when you're, like, you want to play man coverage like Nielsen does, like, you got to be able to have, like, winning matchups for three or four different, like, wideouts or at least pass catchers. You can't have, like, two really good guys uh, and then just have, I don't know, Gregory Jr. starting all 17 games because then he's just going to get – I mean, I don't mean to throw Gregory Jr. under the bus, but if they yeah. have like, two really good oh, yeah. guys, like you need need all three spots or even maybe four spots to be like solid, dependable guys. Yeah, like the cornerback the like discussion, I feel like so many fans are making it about – Darius Williams and Tyson Campbell winning. <laughs> like, it's so yeah. much more than that. Like, like Kendrick Bourne I, went off in the Super Bowl because, like, Debo Samuel was getting locked up by Trent McDuffie. 
and then Brian and Ayuk was getting locked up by Jarius Sneed. And so obviously the Chiefs were like okay living in a world where Kendrick Bourne was like kind of going off on them. But like, I don't know. That's what happens when you've got two really good guys like the Chiefs do. And then yeah. like you still you still need a third or fourth guy. Exactly. And like looking at like their current roster set, set up, like Trey Herndon is an impending free agent. Buster Brown, like, definitely had flashes last year. And I'd say, like, you can go into the year with him as, like, depth that you like. I I, I don't think you want to necessarily go into the year with him as your third best corner. And then Gregory Jr., like, he just, you know, he hasn't played enough to really, like, show anything in the first two years. Christian Braswell hasn't played. Devon Campbell is, you know, just like a bottom of the roster type guy. Like, Exactly. So, like, they they have, what would you say, two and a half, like, established corners on the roster right now? I feel like one and a half. I, I feel like it's just Tyson and Darius, but they both have, like, question marks because Tyson really just, like, he needs to put together a healthy season, ideally, and then Darius is just. That costs them a whole person. <laughs> That's fair enough. So, what, between, what, 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 between what, one and a half. What? What? Who you said two and a half? Yeah, Tyson and Darius are two people, and Buster Brown is half of an established cornerback. No, all right, they have two and one thirds established cornerbacks. No, I think Buster is like good depth, but like I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not by established. I'm saying like NFL quality, like fifty three man roster. Okay, two two and a third. <laughs> I hate you. Okay, okay. <laughs> Regardless, they definitely need like the discussion about the cornerback position has to, I think, go beyond just you know Tyson and and Darius. Yeah. Guess were there any was there anything else that Nielsen said that kind of you know maybe stood stood out to you? I thought like the coaching staff question, like he was basically told, no, you can't like announce the coaching staff, which it, right. it makes sense. The head coach should announce you know, the coaching staff, but it definitely did seem, and obviously some, most of the reported hires, it seemed like Nielsen obviously had a big hand in that, just like Mike Caldwell did, because Mike Caldwell brought, you know, what Cody Grimm with him. He obviously had some input as well. Uh, he seemed to at least confirm, like, the Jeremy Garnett uh, hiring for, as a defensive line coach, because he said there were some guys who worked under him. So I, I thought him basically saying the defensive staff is ready. We just, you know, need the team to announce it was interesting. Was there anything else that really, you know, caught your eye? Because it was more like a formality, you know, type, yeah, type thing. Yeah, it was a 17 minute press conference. I, that was well, the only thing I was going to say was, like, I just thought what he said about the coaching staff was interesting because this is definitely a little bit more coach speak. But he said, um, he said, I know that first and foremost, good men. Secondly, really good teachers of the game. When you put those two things together, they're just eager and excited. Uh, but, like, even if, like, most, if not all, defensive coordinators would say that, like, they're hiring teachers on their staff, I think it is – it was a nice thing to hear, especially for a franchise that, like, I feel like fans for the past two decades have been kind of wondering, scratching their heads, like, is the reason for all this losing because, like, our – the front office is bad and they're bringing in bad players or is it because the coaching staffs were bad and they just like weren't teaching and coaching up these guys that were brought into the building. So it's a little, it's like a little bit of a chicken, the egg thing, but it's just a nice thing to hear that. Like, cause I think teaching is definitely yeah. 
important. And I think that like that, like what he said about teaching and then also like having Shuey on staff and then like the way he talked about Trayvon and Josh Allen, like definitely Trayvon and Josh need a lot of help around them on like in terms of the defensive roster, but their own ceilings for both of them are like untapped and they led the league in sacks for like a duo last year. So even though that's like we've talked before about how sacks are a little bit fake, uh, it's still exciting. They're, they're not fake when it comes to pushing narratives. Yeah. I'll, I'll, yes. They're fake when I want them to be fake. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, uh-huh. and acknowledge that. No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, just some of the hires, like, you know, off the top, I, I think Chris Richard, you know, if that ends up being, you know, one of the hires is major. You know, I, 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 I think he's one of the better defensive back coaches, you know, just result-wise in the NFL, you know, the last couple of years. He obviously worked with the Legion of Boom, et cetera, did good work in Dallas, did even better work in New Orleans than he did in Dallas. So, obviously a good coach. Uh, in, inside linebackers, coach reported hire, Matt House. It, it's one of the most annoying things. I mean, like when like a coordinator gets hired as a position coach and, and like the fans are like, are like, Oh, you're going to hate him, et cetera. Like yeah, they, won't. <laughs> they won't even know he exists. Like it, it literally doesn't matter how, what he do with LSU's defense, you know, as a whole last year, but he's, totally. he, he is, you know, well-liked, you know, yeah. people inside the NFL as like a pure, like position coach. It seems like it's, you know, shaping up to be a solid staff. I know a lot of Auburn people, it seemed like, were pretty upset by losing, you know, uh, the defensive line coach. I'm not sure how much of that had to do with, like, peer coaching as opposed to recruiting, stuff like that. That's mm-hmm. why I don't like to dabble in the uh, the college world. Speaking of, you okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, that was I'm, funny. I'm, I mean, I'm happy you know exactly where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, talk to talk. Like, I, I heard some people, like, or like Gators fans were like upset about it. Even like non-Gators fans, like like Fred Taylor fans were like upset that like the the young buck didn't know like the old guy's legacy and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know. He was he was being funny on the podcast. I, I don't mind it. He's what like 22, 23? Yeah. Like come he on. was he was a he, he was he was watching Nick Jr. last time the Gators were good. But um I, people outside of the state of Florida like really know where Fred Taylor went to college. I th- it's not like it's a super widely known fact. Like he did go on Fred Taylor's podcast. How many so- people know the NFL team Fred Taylor? <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> no, I'm just saying like, okay. Like if Fred Taylor, like if he didn't have the podcast, like would he like as many casual NFL fans, like know him as much? He, he should be in the hall of fame. In my opinion, he's one of the best running backs ever, but like, just like, like you said, like there's no reason CJ Trash didn't know where you went to school. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm glad you knew where I was going with that. I, I, I mean, I, I, I was wondering if you were going to be able to make it to the pod today, or if you were going to stay in your John, stay in. John, come on, my feelings can't get hurt about this topic because I don't care enough. Like, I'm going to make you care. You always try to jaw on me about the Gators, and it just I'm, I'm already scared about them. I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. to get lower. Well, you, you got anything else on Nielsen, my friend? Or are we ready to talk about the reckoning of – Yeah. All right. We're yeah, going to cut for a break, and we'll be right back. All right, guys. The final NFL game of the season was played for the, what, 20, like 27th, 26th time in a row. It did not feature <laughs> the Jaguars, but 
That was a good game. Well, we have to tie it in somehow. 26 game in a row? 26 Super Bowl in a row. Oh. How many years have the Jaguars been around? I'm, I'm not good at 26 or 27. I'm not good at math or counting. <laughs> <laughs> Addition. <laughs> I mean, in any Super Bowl, they haven't been in it. I thought you meant like since the Jags lost against the Titans in week 18, there's been 26. NFL games. I was like, has there Prove to me there weren't. Prove to me. Prove to me there weren't. I don't feel like doing the math or the <laughs> count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 25, 22, Chiefs went over 49ers. I, we both picked the Chiefs. It was a little closer. Like, I didn't I didn't think it was going to go into overtime. I, I, I know we're going to talk about a few things and tie it into the Jaguars, but can, can I fire off a Fire off a few takes. Absolutely, my friend. Okay. I knew they were San Francisco was losing when Kyle Shanahan was throwing a fit when he called that timeout. Who, whoever was the camera guy that put the camera on him at that moment was perfect. Was, oh, you yeah. could you, Steve Wilkes might as well have been fired. Like, <laughs> like right there, dude. Like mm-hmm. he kind of looked pissed. Uh, George Kittle no longer no longer a fan. That the, the, the epic. That yeah, the epic quirky stuff that he does <laughs> enough <laughs> yeah maybe i feel like you have to be like a wrestling fan to get it or something because i i don't did, did you see the video with him and carl Aftis? uh no were they you've like, been living in a, you've been living in a cave yeah okay so probably um, the sounds up of the game you, so yeah. that fumble on the first drive where christian mccaffrey were carl Aftis got it it shows during the play kittle blocks him like Three yards downfield, great block. Gets off the block. And it's like, oh, hey, George. <laughs> While the play's going on. And then Carl Aftis sees the ball and gets it. And Kittle's like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. So that's so embarrassing. Go ahead and wa- go ahead and watch that. Yeah. After. No, I, the I, sounds I, of the game is great. I'm definitely going to watch the whole thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you that tweet. But for that specifically, <laughs> I can no longer call myself a George. <laughs> Come on, dude. You, you don't need to be epic in the middle of the play. <laughs> He literally, he literally is like, oh, hi, George, or something yeah. like that. Like, if, if McCaffrey didn't fumble, I bet he would have finished it with, my name's George, too, or some, something <laughs> like that. So Yeah. No, he, uh, definitely had, he definitely had something in the, in the holster. Yeah. And then my final take, Brock Purdy had the most NPC game of any quarterback since Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl when he was with the Broncos. When they like well, lost really bad, or when they won really big. When they beat the when they beat the Panthers, and he was kind of just there. Both, like, both of his both of Peyton's Super Bowl appearances with the Broncos were so meh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Brock, like he was, he was like he missed some stuff. He made some nice plays, but like all this stuff was like okay or not okay. Like it wasn't even like yeah. great one way or another. It was boring. He, so he, he was just kind of there to me, like yeah. <laughs> And I, I've seen like who is it? Dan Orlovsky has said. I said like, he like played outstanding and stuff. And I've seen people be like, oh, he took he took Mahomes to overtime. He's answered all the doubters, etc. He was just there, in my opinion. He's only like, there, he's getting paid like a million dollars a year. Like that, he's going to be the quarterback for at least the next two years. Like for that reason alone. And he's like, I think he's like on the, like, I mean, Kirk Kirk is pretty good. I think he's on like the Jared Goff. Like level, like where he's like a 
he can start NFL games, but he's just like not going to take you to a Super Bowl win. Does he? Does he play in another Super Bowl in the next five years? Yeah, because I think the Niners are going to make it back. Kyle is like even if even if he hasn't been able to like finish the job, he's like so crazy good at what he does do. So like I, I think I think the Niners will win a Super Bowl in the next five years, and I think better chance than not that Purdy's their guy. And like I don't know, we'll get to like to like roster construction and like takeaways and stuff in a sec, but. I don't know. His salary just helps so much. I thought you were going to stop at Kyle. It's just crazy. And I was about to like emphatically. Yeah, but like he needs to be a little bit crazy in order to be that good at what he does. He looks absolutely dead inside. <laughs> before the game, like before the game. Like. He, he looks, he looks terrible. It, he's the only coordinator like ever to like people are talking about his team losing in the Super Bowl with him as a coordinator, right? <laughs> keep people yeah. keep, like oh, that stat with like Kyle Shanahan has given up like three 10 point leads in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, oh, well, the third one. <laughs> like damn, we're, people are reaching deep in, into that bag. For that no, I, I feel bad for Kyle because the narratives are rough right now, but they would have been so much rougher if the Niners had won and we had to listen about how Brock Purdy was actually modern Joe Montana. Come on. The- does any of the 49ers hoopla since the game ended say anything to you? I mean, offensive linemen openly on Twitter blaming each other for Chris Jones getting, you know, a free run. Uh, Bosa saying they weren't prepared for any of the option stuff. Like, it wasn't a read option, which I feel like yeah. people keep, like when it, I've seen like a few San Francisco beat guys share that quote as like, say, oh, that was one of the indictments on Wilkins and, like, well, it, it wasn't even a read option. It's just – have you ever watched a Nick Bosa interview? <laughs> At, like, I've seen, like, clips. I haven't – I've seen, like, three clips. Yeah, I I, I, I will take it at face value. It, watch a Nick Bosa interview and you'll you'll, you'll see what it – it's the same as what he said about Trevor earlier in the year. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to take Nick Bosa's word for it. I, I – <laughs> it, it, no, it was an athletic piece that like did highlight how like Steve Wilkes like never really had control of that side and like players didn't really trust him. So I think like definitely there's like concern and like uh it's as hard as it is to like get back to the Super Bowl after you win it, like it's way harder to get back to the Super Bowl after you lose it because like it's so hard to like just like keep the band together, even if you're like in a spot like the Niners who have been like right there for like the past four years really. Uh like it's really tough to like keep telling yourself to kind of like stay on the tracks. But I honestly think they're like a good defensive coordinator higher away from like being in the same spot they were. Cause like with Shanahan running the, the control board, like John Lynch seems like a pretty legit GM by this point. Like, I feel like I used to think it was just all Shanahan, but like, like I think they done too good of a job of bringing in talent for it to be only Shanahan. And so I mean, like, they're in a spot where they can, like, hand out crazy contracts like Javon Kin- – or not Javon Kinlaw's uh, – Javon Hargraves last year and then, like, trade for Chase Young. And so, again, because of Purdy's contracts, like, I think their window will be open for maybe not five years but three years. Uh, so if they get someone good in the building to, like, just take care of the defense, almost the same way as the Jaguars where, like, they just need, like, an adult to, like, take care of that side of the ball, then, like, I think they'll – be right right there back with it yeah I, I think one of the big things working against Wilkes at least as an outside observer is 
like anybody who goes there, like you're running the system Shanahan wants to run, yeah, you know, on defense as opposed to running your own. I, I don't know who they like. I mean, they're the only team in the NFL with a defense coordinator opening, you know, right now. That's the big thing working against them is every other viable candidate for the most part has been hired. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's obviously not going to be Mike Rabel. Brandon Staley seems like the only big name who would make sense. Like, because you know it wouldn't be Rabel. You know it wouldn't be Belichick. So right. the only other big name, uh, Rex Ryan? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I, yeah. I I was happy to see that Zimmer got hired by the Cowboys because I think I think Zimmer would was like a better hire than Rex, but I would still love to see Rex back in the yeah. league. I think that would actually be. Yeah. That, I, I, that was the Cowboys. The Cowboys interviewing Zimmer, Rex, and Ron Rivera in the same cycle in 2024. Such a good bit, dude. That's like. <laughs> Like if you had told me those were candidates in like 2014, <laughs> I would have like thought that. Oh you gosh. know, that's they're so great. like weirdly unserious. They're like so good but so not good at the same time. It's so funny. It's I can't team. wait for it to all just like fall apart next year since uh Dak and McCarthy are like on the final years of their contracts. It'd be pretty funny if it all got blown up. I mean, they're yeah, too man. good. They're too good for that to happen, I think, even if like there's a little bit of an adjustment period with Zimmer. But and like, I'm a Dak guy, so I don't like. I think they'll make the playoffs and lose in the second round, but it'd be funny if it got blown up. That's fair. That's fair. All right. In terms of the Super Bowl, what right. what did you learn? You know, Gus, as it pertains to you know lessons the Jaguars can take away from. The first one is man up on defense. Uh, I feel like. A couple years ago, I really came around on this idea where, like, when you get to the playoffs, like, you just have to be able to play man coverage because, like, zone will kind of, like, only get you so far, especially as kind of Nielsen said uh, in his presser, like, with how good offenses and quarterbacks are nowadays. Like, all, almost every offense either has a play caller or a quarterback who can, like, dice up uh, zone coverages and kind of take what the defense gives them in zone. And a lot of teams have both where they have like a play caller and a quarterback who know what they're doing. And so like at a certain point, you got to kind of like just line up and like have best on best and kind of have your guys win. And it's, I think it's similar to like offense and like the ability to run the ball late in games when everyone knows what's coming. Like there's just a certain point in games, but especially in important ones and like in, in January where like when, when you know what's coming, like you got to be able to execute rather than like just being on like, screen passes instead of the run or leaning on like soft zone shells instead of press man to like get you as far as the playoffs. Um, and so again, like that point kind of like first occurred to me a few years ago, but then it was really like hammered home uh, mm-hmm. during the playoffs because I think I heard, I think it was probably just that I heard Tony Romo say it a couple of times. He definitely said it at least once during the Super Bowl, And I think he said it also during the chiefs bills game, that just like at a certain point, like you got to just like, line up your guys and like make it be man coverage like because then there's like no really other way to like beat elite quarterbacks even there's a quote from steve spagnola after the super bowl saying that like they were running a lot of zone and they went away from it during the game because brock purdy was dicing them up which like i like, i don't know if i really noticed that but don't like, remember that period but <laughs> I, I like i don't i don't think that's like just coach big i think i think steve was being honest there and like then they ended up playing more man and like mcduffie had it absolutely ridiculous game against Debo Samuel. Uh, and so I think, I think like 
Mike Caldwell's defense, uh, even though I think he did an impressive job against like elite quarterbacks with the players that he did have, um, like I, it just like the Tampa two, like even like Bulls when he when when the Bucks won the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, like they had a lot of zone, but there was so much inverted coverage and so much changing up the looks. And so like if you're not doing man, you gotta like do that and like be changing the picture post snap like pretty much every single play. But at the end of the day, like, I, like it's hard to run man coverage because it's hard to get like three or four capable coverage players yeah. like on the same team. But that, not every team has Sneed and McDuffie. Yeah, but like that's just at the end of the day, that's like the ideal version of playoff defense is to play press man. And so I think it's to relate it back to the Jaguars. I think it's a pretty good sign where like even if there's going to be a lot of debate this summer of like. What like we'll see whether Darius stays. We'll see whether a cornerback is for, selected in the first round. We'll see whether Marshawn Lattimore is in teal. Uh, like regardless of like what happens in like this off season in the cornerback room, I think Nielsen is for sure on the right path of like what he wants to do of taking away cheap, taking away the deep, uh, and just yeah, making life a little bit harder for quarterbacks. Nothing cheap, nothing deep is the new. The new thing in Jacksonville. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, few thoughts. One, love Spags, but he's kind of going on in my shit list. All this pro purdy stuff he keeps coming out with since the Super Bowl. We, we don't need to give them any any ammo. Oh, I, 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 no, I, I need him to stop being a nice guy. I need him to cut a promo or something and say how easy of a game plan it was. <laughs> Nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a fair want. I respect that. Nonetheless, I, I agree with you. Like, just I mean, just how the Chiefs like limited Debo Samuel, like for example, like not every team has the horses to do that. Like mm-hmm. McDuffie obviously played out of his freaking mind. Yeah, uh, on like a several of plays. Like I think uh, obviously McDuffie gets a lot of like it's getting a lot of like of praise for his uh, deflection on third down when he blitzed, but. I thought the best player a defender made in the Super Bowl who wasn't like Chris Jones was when uh, he deflected a deep pass to Debo uh, in the end zone. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it was just a fantastic play at that side of coverage. So I agree with you. I think if, if you're like looking through like the that lens, Caldwell probably was never going to be that guy. Like it just you know, same way Bowles. Like you know, he's never just going to want to you know, go across the board and man up and just play extensively. So I'd agree with you. It definitely seemed like Nielsen is at least has the right idea. And, you know, for how playoff defenses, you know, need to play. Cause I, I mean, the chiefs defense, what they did in the Super Bowl, what they did really the entire playoff run against like some great offenses, Miami, Buffalo, Baltimore, San Francisco. Like that's literally murderer's row to go against. And they were, they were outstanding. So I, I, I think that's a good take. Spags coaches butt off this year, especially in the playoffs. But like, like you just said, that's a murderer's row. That's like one of the most impressive runs by like any coordinator, but especially on defense, like ever, I feel like. Um, yeah. You're it's, Spags. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Spags is, It'd be awesome to see him become a head coach again. It, it, it was I had to do a double take when like the Rams president for like the last like year or two when he was there went on Twitter the other day was like yeah he needs a 
head coaching job. He didn't get a good, good yeah. chance the first time around. I saw that headline. I was like, why is the Rams guy saying this? <laughs> Somebody replied to her and was like, I'm looking forward to your investigation on the people who that. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a good take. All right. My biggest takeaway, I mean, Debbie Down or whatever, the entire time I watched that game, I couldn't help but think the Jags are anywhere close. Like, mm. to those two teams. Like, not in the sense of I think they can challenge the Chiefs and 49ers next year. I, I just – did you feel at any point in that game that the Jaguars are on offseason away from being as good as either one of those teams? I mean, we've seen, you know, the results. The Jags lost by eight points to the Chiefs this year. Uh, they got steamrolled by the 49ers. If you're even going past that, against some of the teams that have made the conference championships in the last couple of years, they lost to the Ravens this year. They lost to the Eagles and the Lions, you know, last year, plus the Chiefs, obviously twice. Like other who's like the best team, you know, the Jags have really beat, you know, in the last two years to show you that they can be as good as the Chiefs. Texans, Bills, and Bills. The Bills were like that was kind of like the start of like a really weird skid for them, though. Like it was their first I think it was Buffalo's first game without like Daquan Jones and Milano, or maybe like one or two of them got hurt during the Jags game. And then like being like the Texans win was like a good win and it was in Houston, but at the same time, like it was like first year head coach, first year quarterback, play caller, I think, and Bobby Slowick, the first year defensive end, Will Anderson. Like you kind of, even though the Texans were really good and will continue to be good, like that's still a game you probably should have won. And so, I agree with you. Where like, even though I looked it up, and the Jags are seventeen and eleven in the regular season under Peterson until Week thirteen against the Bengals. Was it Week fourteen against the Bengals? Whenever it was, when Kirk okay. and Lawrence both got hurt. Um, but like, if you okay. if you separate like seventeen and eleven by like playoff teams and non-playoff teams, I'm sure it's pretty stark in that they perform a lot better against non-playoff teams, which like. Obviously, that goes for every team, but I am agree with your point where it's like even if they got a division title last year and they were like right on the doorstep this year, like there's still a huge gap between getting into the playoffs and like playing in the last game of the playoffs. Yeah, and that's my thing. Like being AFC South champion isn't the same thing as being as good as the Kansas City Chiefs or as good as the 49ers have been the last couple of years. And that, that's my big thing. I, I, I just – I feel like now entering year three of the Peterson bulky, you know, era, I'm still thinking, I I don't know how they get close to these two teams. I like, obviously Lawrence taking a big step would be significant, but I already think Lawrence is pretty good. So like that's already like factored, that's already factored into my thinking. It's just yeah. my thing watching that game was just that the Jags have so many decisions to make, so many holes to fill that I, I was just scratching my head of, okay, and I, I think that they'll be a playoff team next year. I think they'll do enough. I think the hiring of Nielsen will be big. Lawrence will be healthy. I think they'll be in the playoffs next year. But the ultimate goal, obviously, for every team is a Super Bowl. And, I mean, they, they're unfortunately in the AFC where you have to get past Mahomes to have a chance to play in the Super Bowl to begin with. Mm-hmm. I, I just no, – no part of me during that game was thinking, you know, the Jaguars could be close to this soon. And I – I don't know if I felt that way last year watching Chiefs and Eagles. I, 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 
maybe it was a bit unfair because the Jags are obviously coming off a thrilling playoff win and then a close playoff loss to the Chiefs. But that was my big takeaway during the Super Bowl is that I think the Jags will be in the playoffs next year, but I, I, I just I think they still got a ways to go to be duking it out with Mahomes. Yeah, and like it's easy to point to drafting because like any team that makes it to the Super Bowl has had some really good recent drafts, and I think the Jaguars roster needs to improve in terms of like both their star power and like the guys that are kind of like the Monteric Browns, like get more of those guys who can like just like fill in for injured guys and kind of like fill out your roster. Um, but even if the like on paper the Jaguars had as talented as a roster as some of those as like the Chiefs or the Niners, like the experience level is completely different because now like Mahomes has played in like a hundred playoff games. It feels like at this point. And even if like Purdy is still pretty young, like he has more playoff experience than Lawrence. Like I think it really hurt the Jaguars to not make the playoffs this year. Cause even if they didn't win a super bowl, like it really matters to like get to the playoffs and try to like figure out and like learn how to win in those types of environments. And so I think, I think Doug knows how to win in those environments because obviously yeah. he won a Super Bowl. And I think Nielsen kind of like knows how to win uh, just based on like, I think he knows ball. Um, but like Trevor Lawrence, like he's, I think in a class of a lot of non-Mahomes quarterbacks were like, like even someone like Josh Allen uh, showed all throughout last season, Josh Allen, the Bills quarterback, that like he's arguably, like he's right there with Lamar for like the best quarterback not named Mahomes. But he like he doesn't quite know how to like win consistently yet. Where like he doesn't know how to like take what the defense is giving him and like live to see the next play and like not take the shot even when he wants to. And so like that's just like a really hard lesson for quarterbacks to learn. And I like Lawrence has played in two playoff games. And I know he was a big winner in high school and he was a big winner in college, but like I'm sure sure the rosters around him looked a lot different than they do right now in Jacksonville. And so I think like it's easy to say that the Jaguars don't have as talented of a roster, but I think the even bigger thing is that they just don't really have like the experience, the playoff experience on the roster either. Do the Jaguars make a Super Bowl in the next 10 years? Putting you on the spot. I I was going to say, yeah, I think they'll make at least one, but like being in the same conference as Patrick Mahomes is tough, man. Like I was uh, pod, and they were saying like, Mahomes is going to turn so many quarterbacks into Dan Marino for this generation. Like, I I think I think they'll make the Super Bowl. It, my big thing is Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert combined, three great quarterbacks, multiple MVP caliber seasons between Joe the three Burrow, of them. CJ Stroud. They just keep coming. Yeah. Zero Super Bowl appearances between those three. You can throw CJ Stroud in there. Okay, throw Burr in there. There's one between the five and even that one. Burr was kind of fluky because, like, he's yeah, definitely uh, not back, but, like, during that Bengals uh, Super Bowl run, like – He wasn't was, good. They were, yeah, <laughs> that was that was all big Lou. That was another defense coordinator playoff push. Not but as much. Burr quietly kind of stunk in the playoffs. Ben. Yeah. I'll, I, I'll, I'm also never going to forget the Chiefs for losing that team because – Bengals fans won't shut the hell up about <laughs> that that game. Like, still, it, it. I I saw something. It was I think the day after the Super Bowl. It was a Bengals fans like still somehow like making you know the cheese etc about them and somebody. 
posted that meme of a guy pointing at the mirror that he put a Bengals helmet on. He's like, I'm going to make this belt myself. <laughs> that, that to me is what Bengals fans are in the year 2020. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm forever regretful that the Chiefs let them have that. Gus, you got anything else from the Super Bowl that you thought was – I thought the fact that they basically used the Jaguars play for the second year in a row. To oh, win yeah, Bowl, that's a good show. That's a good bit. That, yeah. That's a good bit. It, it, it's good. That's that's so Jags. Yeah, it's it's a great bit. <laughs> Honestly, the Jags kind of sort of back to back Super Bowl champs. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you, you go. Give your head that much. Uh, I don't think I really have. The only other thing I wrote down was like balanced roster because like everyone was tweeting about how oh like Mahomes has won two Super Bowls since they traded Tyree Kill and it's like well yeah you kind of like had to do that you had like too much and like one area and you got to like spread the wealth a little bit. Like part of the reason the Niners were able to have such an awesome skill position group is because they have Brock Purdy on a million dollar salary. And like, they also like have a below average, arguably bottom 10 offensive line. Like it's really just Trent Williams. And then like four dudes. Yeah. Some jabronis. So uh, I think, I don't know. That was just interesting how like, uh, especially for the chiefs really like how even the, like they had Mahomes, Kelsey in his prime, and Tyreek in his prime, and they're like, "This isn't really sustainable. We need to maybe they shouldn't have like uh, made the receiver room quite as bad as they did, but like clearly they like went all in on like building their defense in like the past two seasons, and clearly it worked out for them." Do they win back-to-back Super Bowls if they keep Tyreek? Because if they keep Tyreek, they probably can't afford Chris Jones these last two years. Yeah, probably not. Chris Jones has been. He Chris, Chris Chris Jones, like there could have been like four different Chiefs. It could have been MVP the other night. Like him, McDuffie, Mahomes, obviously. Like Chris Jones went crazy. <laughs> I, I think he's like as important to the Chiefs dynasty as Travis Kelsey, but obviously isn't talked about as much. I hope he stays at the Chiefs, man. I don't want him yeah. to become a free agent and yeah, just like, sign with a random team for a lot of money and then have like Sign sign with like Arizona and get four sacks over the next two years before getting right. released. I just don't do anyone. I, I, don't want. I think you should stay stay there. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And that was probably the other thing is like this goes back to my previous point, but I don't think the Jags are close. Like just how many blue chip players both teams have. <laughs> there was there was like eight Hall of Famers in that game. It was crazy. Yeah, and the Jags blue chip players are like Josh Allen and. Trevor Lawrence has a hue of blue. Like, like I think he's a blue chip. Yeah, so I, I, I think he's a blue chip player, but obviously that one, like, would get some pushback. And then, but you look at the Chiefs and they have, okay, uh, Creed Humphrey, uh, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, Travis Kelsey, obviously, Chris Jones, Sneed, Trent McDuffie. Like, they, they, they have some dudes. And then the 49ers are, like, unbelievably stacked. Right. But, but that, it, it all goes back to drafting too, because most of the guys, if not all, the ones we just named are guys they drafted and, and developed. And that same thing with uh, you know the 49ers, other than McCaffrey, all their best players are dudes they've yeah you know, drafted and developed. Warner, Kittle, the Trent Williams is another that they brought in, but yeah. it stands. The Jags are developing too many green guys, not enough blue ones. <laughs> Green's a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They have some green players. They they got plenty of greens. They got yeah. no blues. You need no I was going to say, I feel like I was trying to think of like who would be the next blue chip. That's a good question. Like who who's Anton, dude? 
I was gonna say that. I was gonna but, say Anton is like trending in the direction of being a blue chip player. I and think maybe Tyson would be one. All right, man. Green. Not green. A, he, I, I know it was injury related, but gotta get past last year. I, I think Anton would be the next one, and the next closest one would be Trayvon. I, I don't. He's not one, but he'd be the next. Like I think. ETN might be right there too, honestly, which is partly about like the state of the position. Like, I think, I feel like ETN is like objectively a top 10 running back, but it's more about just like who else are you going to put like put on like number eight, nine, 10 on your list of top 10 guys? Is Trayvon one of their five best players? And in my opinion, either if you answer yes or no, it's probably a bad thing. Like, like, if he is one of the five best players, and that's what we're talking about. Like, the roster needs to be significantly better than that. But if he's not, then took him number one overall. Why is he one of your five best players? Uh, Who do you think is a better NFL player, like, today on February 16th? Christian Kirk or Trayvon Walker? Christian Kirk. Okay. Yeah. You? I think so, too. It's just that, like, Kirk is, like – I don't know, like limited in some stuff. So, like, I think like Trayvon probably you could, could make like, Trayvon could be more valuable. Yeah, and Trayvon could be like more of a all around player and does like everything well. Where like Kirk does plenty of stuff well, but like I'm mostly because of his size, he's never going to be like a complete guy, which is okay. But which is fine. Yeah. All right, you got anything else for us, my friend? Um. So last year, I picked the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. Yep. Even though they didn't, they were a Final Four team, right? That's nice. Yeah. They, they were a Final Four team, and they led That's the cute. league in wins, point differential, and DVOA during the regular season. And what Lamar was – so I'm just doing a little, a little fake victory lap. Even though no, the, the, the bet wasn't, will the Ravens lead in DVOA? That, that was, <laughs> so I want you right now to predict – your winner for next year's Super Bowl, Green Bay Packers. Okay, okay. Write write it down, please. Write it down because I'm not. It, it's it's written. It's written. Okay. I I honestly Whoa. just yeah no it's it's gotta be. I ignored the AFC because I'm like I don't like the Chiefs. I don't. I'm pretty sure no team has ever won a three peat in NFL history. I don't like, think they have, and I think they're gonna do it, dude. I. <laughs> I think they have a good chance to, especially like with like Jones and Sneed possibly maybe coming back. Like, I mean, Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey both said they were coming back. No one's going to hire Steve Spagnola as a head coach this year. So they've definitely got like all the pieces, and their defense is like so young that like it's not like McDuffie and like George Karloftis and those guys are going away. So I think they definitely have a good chance. But like, I kind of just scratched off the AFC when I was thinking about this because I was like, the odds are kind of, kind of stacked against the Chiefs, but I also like feel uncomfortable taking any other team from the AFC because of the Chiefs, because like that's kind of went wrong with me for me for the Ravens this past year. Uh, and then I was looking at the NFC, and like the NFC West is like I just kind of like I think they're going to like almost cancel each other out because I think the Cardinals are going to be like sniff like maybe be a wild card team next year and actually be like sneaky competitive. I like the Seahawks. Uh, because I like McDonald a lot, and I like Geno. Obviously, the Niners are elite, and then the Rams, I think, are going to make some noise next year when they have, like, a more complete roster kind of around yeah. Stafford for McVay. 
And then, like, I'm not going to pick anyone from the NFC South. Uh, <laughs> let's see. NFC East, the Cowboys and the Eagles are both talented but not trustable or trustworthy. Yeah. So that leaves me with the NFC North, and the Lions are unserious until they get a new quarterback in my eyes. Uh, See, so I can't say that. It was really just a process of elimination, and I think, like, the Packers are still very young, and I know I just talked about how, like, playoff experience and, like, learning how to win is so important, but – like I think, I think love is legit, and I think Lafleur is more than legit. And they don't have uh, Mike Patine or whatever the who's their defensive coordinator. It was Joe Barry. Joe Barry. They don't have Joe Barry. Mike Patine was the one before. They're they're all. Yeah. They're, they don't have either of them anymore. So Big like Fangio's bastard children. Yeah. So they've got. I think they've got good coaching, good quarterback, uh, young talent who like could take a step next year. Winnable division. Not in the same conference as Patrick Mahomes, so see. My, you heard it here first. Now the Packers are going to be first yeah. in wins, DVOA, point differential. Jordan Love's going to win MVP, and they're going to get they're going to lose in the conference championship. So you can book that. See, I'm not a Jared Goff guy at all, but I think I'd pick Chiefs Lions because I'm with you. I, I think Goff is mostly mid, but I don't think you need a great quarterback to get to the Super Bowl. I think you probably need one to win it more often than not, especially yeah. against Mahomes. But right. you know, Brock Purdy made it. He's mid. Jimmy G made it. He's – I don't even think Jalen Hurts is honestly that good. Like, if like you're getting down to brass tacks and, yeah. you know, taking out some of the gimmicky stuff. So, I don't, I don't, I don't hate it as a take, though. Okay. I'm, okay. So, we've, offici- we've officially moved on from the Ravens. And- yeah. Yeah, okay. no, that, that was me closing the chapter on the Ravens and opening a chapter on the Packers. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to to poking fun of that for the next. <laughs> they have I I saw uh, their cap space is like middle of the pack, maybe even below average, but they've got five draft picks in the top 100. They've got a first, two seconds, and two thirds, and I feel like their drafts have been crazy recently. So yeah, they have been. They have been. That's fair. I, I I don't hate to take. I I begrudgingly am a Jordan Love fan. I was kind of hoping yeah. he'd be. I, I was hoping he'd be awful just for my pal Justice Muscat. Yeah, same. Yeah, but he, friends. Shout out Graham's Packers fan. Yeah, but he he unfortunately is a fun player. So <laughs> yeah, unfortunately he rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the, that's my stance on Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Gus. Anything else for us? Um. Packers over Texans. That'll be my official Super Bowl prediction since you just gave two teams. Yeah. I kind of wanted to take the Texans, but then it was just like, since AFC is so crowded, I was like, now nah, go to NFC. And then um, I, think, I think the Jaguars should sign Mike Williams from the Chargers because I think he's like a near lock to get cut because I think he tore his ACL last year and he's had a couple injuries. Uh, they have They have four like albatross contracts between Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, uh, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. And there's like absolutely no way they can keep all four of those guys. It might even have to like part ways with two of them. But I think Mike Williams is like the guy that's most likely on his way out. And then it fits like the big body that the Jaguars are missing in their receiver room. It fits the uh, injury discount that Balky likes, even though that narrative has died mm-hmm. a little bit in recent years. Like you, you had like, him at torn ACL. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so I don't know. I think like. Like Higgins, I like has never been.
been like he was never going to go on the market. He's, yeah, he's not going to be a free agent. I think yeah. I think Mike Evans is like a feasible pipe dream, and like because they're going to have to probably tag Anton Winfield at safety. Uh, so maybe if like maybe if you give Mike Evans a really nice check, then he'll come to town. But other than Mike Evans, like and T Higgins, and then Calvin Ridley, uh. I don't know. It's just a bunch of meh options out there. I feel like but, I, I think that's a good chance. Calvin, I think that's a good chance. Calvin Ridley will be the best free agent receiver once the dust settles. But, yeah. but definitely worth looking at. All right, this time, Gus, got anything else? Got all? No, I'm, here. I'm done. There you go. <laughs> Empty the tank. All right, good, good job. Hey, hey good, good takesmanship. That, that was a good little run for you. I like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah, there you go. You're getting better. I'm proud of you. <laughs> All right. That was episode 90. Who who would have thought? Thank you guys for joining me and my friend, co-host Gus Logue. We'll be back. I, I'll, I'll just be up front. We'll maybe be back next week. Uh, get, get married next Saturday if, if we find the time. But if not, we'll be back sometime when I get back from the honeymoon to talk about franchise tags, free agency, all that good stuff, broken player relationships, all everything that everybody loves talking about. So oh, yeah. thank you guys for joining us and we will be back whenever we want. So <laughs> thank you. You just thank got balky balled. Yeah. You just got balky balled, loyal listeners. <laughs> thank you guys for joining us. That's right. That's right. <laughs>